Did you find it? There isn't anyone f- actually doing it in America. UK. Personal ESG scores, but they're doing it. They're doing companies that are international companies. Is yeah. that what it is? Well, it looks like China and the UK both have personal ESG scores, ESG scores. so far. But there's not one in America. But it says, but you should still be careful about what you post on social media for when it does show they, up. They already got our ESG <laughs> scores set up. I know. But but they, they've definitely, they're doing it inside of investments. Oh, man, it's but it's at the top of the. But that's the question, like, who, who? Oh, yeah, thank you. <coughs> who owns the, who's. What is the standard for the ESG score? Who's making that standard for ESG? How do you know what social stuff is good? Right. That's exactly it. Is that's and and that's where the that's where the god of the system is. Hold on, here's something right here. Who is regulating the ESG ratings industry? That's what I want to know. It says it's that one. It's got to be that German dude from <laughs> what's his from, name? Yeah, what's his name? Um, <laughs> he, he's just Klaus. Klaus. Klaus Schlob. Klaus. Klaus Schlob. Schlob. He's he's got a personal meter where he just judges you. It says an industry of ESG raiders has cropped up in the rates. Com- companies ESG bona fides. We invest in a seven hundred plus ESG exchange trade. What is this? Oh no, it's already being traded on. Oh yeah. Well, that's what. That's how you. How to know? Like that's what caught me off guard was how to know that you're investing in a good company with a high ESG score. So you have now a company is not based off of what they sell and right. how well they make a product. And how much they supply that good to the rest of the world. Yeah. They're based off of their environment, how they treat, how the, they environment treat the environment while they're doing their product, getting their product and operating, how they are operating in society and culture through their social engagement yeah. and how they operate uh, within their governance of their own company. And I have a feeling, though, that governance, that G is not going to just be governance within their own company. It's going to move to. Governance period. Yeah. Because that's, they're trying, they want to govern, these companies want to govern the world. So it's kind of like, so which pharaoh do you want? Yeah. That you, you know. Well, I mean, I think that's, that, that is, that's the, that's the fascist like ideal is that you've got companies running them. Oh, check this out. So. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What are you saying? I mean, that is, that's the fascist ideal that you've got companies running the world. ESG is fascist by nature. I I think we're fascists and we're just creating. I mean, things that will be that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Check this out. It says um, it's magic. So how do you get an ESG score? This is what it says. It says ESG ratings providers mine public information to grade companies and sort them into ESG indexes. Like sustainable impact, tobacco, environment, or women's leadership. 
investors and financial advisors in turn look to the ratings and indexes. Who owns these index to develop investment strategies or create ESG focused mutual funds, index funds and ETFs. Wow. So they have some SEC policies. I'm still going through. This is insane. I think though. I mean, it, this this sounds like like when I was in the sixth grade, and my friends and I used to talk about how like I get we're not one of the cool kids, but we are cool in our own way, and they're all gonna find out someday that we we really were the cool kids. <laughs> this is revenge of the nerds. <laughs> yeah, is that what this exactly is? What this is. <laughs> Like I know we didn't make as much money as them, <laughs> but but they're gonna. But someday they're gonna be we're gonna sorry. Own all yeah. of this stuff, <laughs> and then this is the way that they came up with doing it. They're like, <sighs> until recently, the ESG ratings industry hasn't captured much attention, possibly because ESG indexes feels like a logical outgrowth from passive investing, another style of index-based investing that now captures a large segment of the market. But the ratings that underlie ESG indexes are er, qualitatively different from, say, a total stock market index. (laughs) You don't say. Yeah, yeah. It says nothing to do with whether or not the company is good at their job. (laughs) Recent reporting. No, no, no. It's not. it's, It's in whether or not. They are good at their job and other things that we like, right? So it says, like, how, yeah. how are you good at your job when it relates to the environment? How are you good at your job as it relates to social issues? In one sense, though, I'm thinking they get it. There right. isn't one thing that you do that isn't connected to another, and they're understanding that about the world, and they're moving in on that area that we've kind of created this neutral ground on, and they're saying, no, yeah, no company gets to be neutral on the environment, on social issues and how they decide to govern their little company. It isn't separate from the rest of the world. I feel like, I feel like in one sense, I don't like what ESG is doing. I don't like the, the, the process that they're trying to do with ESG, but it's kind of, isn't it kind of inescapable? Uh, I mean, it's inescapable in a certain sense, um, in that there is that, that everything is moral. I think what, they're doing is they're trying to uh, they're trying to weaponize and monetize morality. <coughs> you know, they're, they're trying to turn morality into into a commodity you know, that can be traded on, rather than. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's. But isn't that what? It, but isn't that is so? That's kind of inescapable too, though, isn't it? Uh well I know I mean this this is this is the this is indulgences like this is uh, this is because you're giving up money you're giving up productivity to meet these ESG scores you're making sacrifices you're buying indulgences by high and and you're you're turning like women women CEOs into a high com- into a, a prostitute a, exactly <laughs> like. Look, you may not be as good at your job, but you get us a better ESG score. So, right? so, you're, so it's a sacrifice to to hire somebody now, and it, so it's an mm. indulgence. But the reward is not eternal. So then, would you? Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. So then, would you would you look at something like um, affirmative action as indulgences too? Oh yeah, it's it's guilt repayment. It, it you're paying off your guilt, but not to the people. Yeah, not, there's no real it, sin of re, there's no repentance or yeah. or restitution paid back to the people who were really right. Which harmed. is what indulgences, you know, that's what indulgences do. Step in and they say, "Look, I get you feel guilty. You can pay us off." Yeah, right? but who are they? I mean, they were paying off uh, the they. If you steal from somebody, the Bible says you have to give back to them double or four times quintuple or five, what, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever it is, depending on the, the, how the, how it all fell down. You, yeah. they're the ones that get paid back. Um, this is a way of saying, yeah, we don't have to pay back the people we actually robbed. Right. So, but we create a culture where those kind of, yeah. Yeah. So help me, help me. Cause I, I think you're right. I think you're right in one sense. I agree with that. That's it's a form of indulgence. But I look at the World Economic Forum right now. They are, if nobody's paid attention to the World Economic Forum, they're they're not seeing where this thing is going. Yeah. And I'm talking about all the aluminum foil things that we used to talk about in school that our parents talked about. You know, we're like, hey, you know, there's going to be this whole one world, yeah, new world order. That is the World Economic Forum, right? Yeah. There were people taking notes on all of the old conspiracy theories and said, that's a good that's, idea. Yeah. <laughs> and went for let's, it. <laughs> let's do. But you know what? I think that we, I don't think that anything's changed from the past where people wanted to conquer the world and have yeah. one world, one world, a God or leader. Right. That's not anything new, right? We're just yeah. seeing it different with our technocracy now. We're seeing that it's maybe a little easier to do, right? Right. And, um, and everybody might want it because we have a certain sort of slave mentality where people don't want to do stuff for themselves. If we can make technology easier for everybody's lives, then what wouldn't they give to have a new ear? Yeah. They're literally growing and printing ears from people's DNA and giving them a new ear. They're doing it with fingers. They're doing it with hearts. They're doing it with lungs. They're doing it with jaw bones. They're right. literally printing bones right now. Um, it's amazing. The technology, what they're doing is amazing. And so I see what they're doing and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, in one way or another, this is inevitable. Like, and I don't think that you're, what we understand about the world and what the Bible tells us about the future, a one world order is inevitable. Period. <laughs> Christ is king of the yeah. whole world. He's going to come back and rule it. And everything is being built and operating in that way that his enemies are being made his footstool so that the world has a trajectory to sit under Christ as ruler. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it is being built that way. So when I see the World Economic Forum, I'm not really afraid or disappointed. No more than I would be about seeing Romans building roads. Right. Like they're building roads for the gospel to go out on it. Right. Um, uh, I can't remember the book right now, but um, oh, what was it? It was about TV. Oh, I should look it up. TV being the end of society. Um, and he was talking about the fact that television is ruining us to the point that we can't think. But the the problem is so the, amusing, amusing ourselves. Amu to death. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yes. Amusing ourselves to death. And he says, um, oh, I can't remember the line in there. But the line basically to summarize it is that the the method is 
the problem. Like that's that's the yeah the thing. And I and I read that the, and I the, the medium the, the medium the medium is the problem. Yes, right? and and I vehemently disagree with him mm-hmm. because I felt like the medium can't account for the gospel. Right, it can account for a trajectory apart from um, what the gospel does when it gets in the system. Yeah, right. So they already have. We know they know the medium is directed towards one thing, but God has always allowed people to think that this is what they were going to do, and they fall and fail, and God takes that, and then He has His people move into Canaan with vineyards that they didn't plant. Right. Well, there's two things. I think there's two things wrong. With his argument, and now the book, I think overall is oh, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal book. book. I think that that the pessimism of his argument is is a problem, and for a couple of reasons. One, the Roman roads. If you look and say they're filled with Roman armies oppressing us, we need to get rid of the roads. Then you you are misunderstanding the power of the roads. There's a neutral power to the roads mm. that um, that when once the Roman armies fell apart because the Roman armies attacked God's people, God Destroyed pulled the rug them. out from under them. Yeah. Then the, the roads were left, and it and it was a way for the gospel to move. So even during the persecution, it right. was yeah yeah. So the the technology of the roads was itself neutral, and but. He, and he, and I think he would say, yeah, that's true. But his argument also involves a what he calls a, a logocentricity um, that the that Western culture um, needs to survive. That it's not that if it becomes an image centric culture, image centric communication, if if communication becomes image centric, then there's no way to combat the idolatry that will come with it. Right. And so that we need that, that the problem is mm. that the, Im, the image communication is replacing word communication. Right. And so that, so, and that I think is a subtler and more, uh, it, a subtler aspect to his argument that often isn't dealt with well, because, um, because I think that is, that's actually where um, what got us here was uh, the the modernist separation of word and Thank image. You. Yeah, right, right. right. So, and so to say we're becoming an image centric culture, I think is true. Right? He's ac- absolutely right. right? But, that, that, but the world is image based world. The but that. That is a problem if it gets separated from the word. From the word, right? So, oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. so images in and of themselves aren't a, aren't an issue. It's the separation of word and image that is the problem. Can you explain that? Because I don't you, the, the line that, and I think it's true that people say a picture says a thousand words. You can't. How do you separate the two? Right. So uh, the 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 way that they've separated the two has is actually in. Um, is is actually at the level of what can you know? Like, is it possible to truly communicate? And what the what happened was um, in the rise of the Enlightenment that image communication um, was separated out from word communication, and so the rationalists said that the 
only place to really communicate truth was through logical arguments, was through rational, word-based logical arguments so that you could you could deduce truth um, through word. They were Republicans? <laughs> they, they're rational. <laughs> or Republicans are Kantians, but we, we'll say, yeah. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. Um, or, or Hegelians probably. But anyway, Ouch. The, um, but yeah, Kantians. You have this, um, what you have is this separation and, saying that the word communicated truly and images were trying to always falsely, you know, they, they didn't, they couldn't truly communicate um, because they communicated via the emotions through, uh, uh-huh. <coughs> through induction rather than deduction. You know, you had this di- um, and that, that, that that wasn't a true communication. They said the same with stories, with metaphors, right? You have to actually peel that all away. And that the scientific, um, scientific, uh, either scientific rationalism, um, or, you know, the rationalism that was sort of logical rationalism, though they, they argued back and forth, is it deductive or inductive, um, Logic mm-hmm. that gets us to truth, um, but they agreed that it was only through deductive or inductive logic that you got to truth. And then images didn't really truly communicate uh, unless they were explained with words. And so you ended up with you know modern art, which is like, oh, here's a red circle in the top left corner of a green uh, canvas. You look at it and say... There's no meaning. And they're like, well, here's what it means. And you get a little explanation, right? That, uh, but they believe that about every image, right? And so it works its way into the images of modernist painting that there's no true communication by, via image. Um, did they, did they produce that because of the way that they thought about images? Yes. So because of the way they thought about, Knowledge and images, and the way that images couldn't actually communicate true knowledge. They gave up that. They gave up images, but they they learned that from Christians. I mean, the the buildings we built, the art we made, all of it. We we said the same thing. It's all about you know um, words. It's only words, only sermons. Right. Um, our churches became lecture halls. And then our churches became Unitarian churches, historically speaking, right? You had this move towards a rationalistic Christianity that became a rational uh, rationalism that became Unitarianism. Is this kind of like what we were talking about last time when we were talking about um, buildings and building nice buildings? Somehow in our liturgy, in our understanding, we gave up the, the separate – we gave up the reality of both – the general revelation, the special revelation, living together in art and in special work from God, those two things in harmony, we gave up that being a reality. And so we started building the type of buildings that had a theology like that. Yeah. And right. then we became people like the buildings that we built. <laughs> we don't see right. beautiful art. We, so, the, okay, keep but, going. I don't want to stop there. It, but there, there's a reason that it's that 
it led to Unitarianism, right? Because the, the, in the Trinity, you have the, the word and the image and music held together as ways of mm. equal, equal ways of communicating. Jesus is the word of God mm. and he is the image, image of, of God. God. Right. Uh, Ooh, okay. Right. So in Christ, word and image are held together. And so a, uh, and then the spirit of God is the one who, you know, glorifies the word and the image in time, right? Mm. So he's the storyteller. He's he's the uh, he's the musician that glorifies time. That glorifies glorifies word and image in in time. Uh, and so you have all of them held together. And so in distinctly trinitarian understanding, you know, distinctly trin- trinitarian cultures, you get. Art, art and music and poetry and song and dance, um, all that are because there's it's a world in which those things are real. Those things are true. Mm. Right? You can have um, a a dance that is true in that kind of cosmology. You could in a Trinitarian cosmology. Now, ancient paganism had cosmologies as well in which you could have that. Yeah. Um, modernism doesn't. Right, like I was so in college, I was in the Hawaiian club, obviously, because that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because I was the only Howley in the in the Hawaiian club. Um, <laughs> no, knowing you is like that completely makes sense. It was like, a, but so I so and I was on the hula team, right? So I, <laughs> and um, hula uh-huh. dancing is amazing. It's <laughs> it's amazing art form, but it's a storytelling art form. So every right. movement of your hands and your hips and your uh, and the way you place your shoulders and move your feet all are are parts of stories so it's it's sort of a um it's sort of a, a living hieroglyphic where you've mm. got images that communicate pieces of stories and so you can put together different stories with the dance it's a really cool art form you know then you're saying that i can just think about so when uh when when r kelly comes on Back in the day, and people start dancing. Part of what the adults would be like, ah, hey, 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 I know what that means. I know that right. story. It's the Elvis, I, I, yeah, so, yeah, right. Same thing, right? Oh, I know, I know. I, I can't wait for Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie. Oh, I, I, I can. <laughs> I, I love can. Baz Luhrmann. I, he's, he's so over the top. I know everything I know. about him is, shouldn't be done. I'm and. looking forward to it uh, in one sense, but it, I, I want to see how much of a story they tell. No, but, I know. No, it's totally true, but. It's going to be colorful. It's going oh, to be it's full gonna, of music. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be good. Um, so, even if it's even if it's done, even even if it's a bad story, he tells bad stories well. <laughs> <laughs> that is so <laughs> contradictory. To what no, it, it, I mean it, it. It is, but as a filmmaker, you can. He, I, I know. So I I, know. I appreciate the artistry. Yes. Even when there are times when you're like, Bass, come on. We we can rescue bad films. And and show how they're being inconsistent with the, in their right. own worldview and, as and Christians. Say, but and then, you know, the the same way that a, a carpenter looks at a, a, a house that's built that's being misused, and said and says, "Oh, but the joints in that house are amazing. Imagine if you also filled it with a family and not with right. a bunch of high schoolers or college students, you know, smoking pot." 
So, inside, which is basically a Baz Luhrmann movie. <laughs> I was going to say a bunch of college students smoking pot in a beautiful old house. It might it might tell a different story. Or he might tell on himself in this story. Who yeah, knows? yeah. Um, it, but yeah, but people saw Elvis. They saw R. Kelly, and they're like, "No, that means something." We know that story, and we and it's funny because. When we see dance, we we can we easily are, are able to make the connections of how that story plays out. Yeah. One way or another, and you can see other forms of dance, and you can say, "That man loves that woman." Right. Right. Like, and it's yeah. like, "Wow, that's beautiful." Like, we can see dance. We can we we know there's a story there. We know it's yeah. communicating something that we've well, forgotten and, it in a modern age. Like Shakira is right. Like hips don't lie. Right. right. And and that's something right. that what we what the modern church has tended to do is say, shh, hey, come on. We don't, we don't dance like that. We don't talk like that. Right. And then our kids are like, yeah, but my body's telling me I should. They're having, they're, they're dislodged from <laughs> right. reality. And so then it. they're, yeah. they have to choose between dislodgement from their own bodies mm. or they, um, or running away, right? Like Jesus doesn't want my body to work this way. But that's where that that's because we don't have a cosmology in which every every boy hits puberty and is becoming an atom, is becoming a, a priest of this creation. Every woman it hits puberty and and she's developing into a a, a a priest of creation, and that God intended that all in her body and in His body, and that it actually is pointing to to something bigger, deeper, greater, and more beautiful. So, you know, you, you go down, we, we lived along the beach down in California and, um, the sp I loved the spring in the Bay area because it got sunny and nobody quite knew, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> and, and all the guys and the girls go down to the beach just, just to bump into one another. I mean, sometimes <laughs> physically, but I mean, just, socially yeah. to go down and interact. You could walk down the beach there and you know, hear four or five languages and then watch all of the awkward teenagers just try to figure out how to become an Adam and an Eve. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was, I mean, it was amazing. The, the amount of, uh, of gospel opportunity that there is in the, in, in the, the the growing and the changing and the new desires and you know um, that all of that is is ultimately unfulfilled without Christ because that all of that points beyond itself to something greater and deeper, but we don't even know how to we we don't even know what we we run away from all of the art that would give us the opportunity to have the conversation so what so you say gospel I, I i don't then this is all connected to the separation between image and word right right yeah so so when you say there's gospel opportunity in puberty what does that gospel opportunity looks like stop it because <laughs> sex is dirty bad and nasty you know, so save I, it for the one you love <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious my, my mom was different with us. Of course, I come from the charismatic um, background, word of faith kind of stuff. But my mom was very biblical. And so, and people don't give charismatics the kind of appreciation they should when it comes to how much they love their Bible. They just don't always have the faculties to understand it. Right. But they love their Bibles. 
my mom would say, oh, I have a book called Song of Solomon. <laughs> right. And I have a bunch of kids here who are <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on with them. How about I bring them in and we start reading through this yeah. book of Song of Solomon? Yeah. And everybody else in the church flipped out, like, you know, like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, my sister has no breast. And we're all laughing in there. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then she goes to human anatomy. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, the immaturity of it turns into uh, um, a question. So what does happen? Yeah, how does this, right. you know? So but how do you, that was from a, an environment that wasn't nearly as thoughtful or reformed or had a literary um, backdrop to work through. Yeah. How, what do you see the gospel opportunities inside well, of puberty? There's a, so in terms of just the placement of the Song of Solomon, it's a book about how to prepare for kingship, right? So Song of Solomon, um, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes are the are kingship books. What does a king? What does kingship look like? And um, what you have is Solomon is is the fulfillment of the wisdom that Adam failed to to achieve. The Song of Solomon is that's what you would have gotten with Adam and Eve had they not mm. eaten the fruit, right? So, um, Adam, Solomon is the gardener king. Adam was supposed to be the gardener king. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the gardener king. But what is what is the garden you know so that's why it's full of garden imagery but not but it, the garden imagery is that the kingdom is a garden. Mm. Solomon's personal life is a garden and his wife is a garden. And he has to learn Say it again. I don't want to miss that. So so his kingdom is a garden. Right, he, and he is the the gardener of the kingdom. His personal life, how he how he deals personally with his own morality, with his relationship with God, with his visits to the temple, that is a garden. Is a garden in and of itself, and then his wife is a garden. The wisdom. You know what you just did. You know. You know what you just did. You know. I gotta say, we're just talking about the honor right now. We're just talking about self governance, <laughs> civil magistrate, and the home. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. But, and, and, but and those. Are, he's a priest too. He's, so you gotta, he's, he's yeah. a he's a priest king. Right. He's yeah. a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's a priest king, um, and God is pulling back together things that were separated by the fall. Right. So mm. the fall shatters. Sin shatters and pushes things apart. Um, Grace restores and pulls pulls things back together that are intended to be together. So, um, where where Solomon is go has has to go to get the wisdom to rule is by learning how to garden his wife well, mm-hmm. and that and in order to garden his wife well, he has to learn to take care of his own his own self well. Right. So. Um, he, so his, they they turn out to all be created, and the wisdom that he needs to rule well turns out to be in his wife, in the in the prospering of his wife. And so, um, you have a uh, a failure of husbanding of Eve leads to the destruction of the Garden of Eden. Mm. Right? Um, oh, she wasn't named Eve, <coughs> Eve yet. She, but his the, he failed to garden his wife, um, 
And so he lost his garden. Uh, Adam did. Solomon is placed back into that king. He's the first one that's ever said to have the knowledge of good and evil. So Solomon went, so he is, God says, hey, what, what do you want? And he says, I just need the wisdom to rule. Instead of saying he wanted money or he wanted power, he says, I need the wisdom to rule. And he says, that's the right thing to ask for for a king. So you are going to have the the knowledge of good and evil, right? So he's being restored to what Adam and Eve mm. lost. Um, and uh, so he'll be able to judge well. How is it that he's given that? Well, then he's given his wife, the Shulamite, which just means Mrs. Solomon. That's, the, yeah. that's what Shulamite is in Hebrew is Mrs. Solomon. So he's um, given a kingdom, but in order to become a good king, he needs to become a good husband, right? Because they are the same, they're the same task, right? They're wisdom tasks. They're, 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 they're the, the tasks are the same shape. Um, so, and this, this, the other thing that is the same shape is eldering in the church, right? Past, pastoral ministry, which is why he who, he who um, yeah. cert wants to be an elder Desires a good thing yeah. comes immediately upon the discussion of Adam and Eve. Um, in so Second Timothy, or First Timothy two is the discussion of Adam and Eve. First Timothy three is the as now that we're talking about Adam and Eve, let's talk about how this applies to pastoral ministry, elders and deacons, uh, and why he who rules his house well will rule in the house of God well, and you know he who rules the his house well will be a good king. You know, those, those are all pulled together and connected. So, um, and, and when Jesus comes along, um, we're told, how do we know, you know, how, how do we know what kind of ruler Jesus is? Well, we're told he's the kind of ruler that gives his life for his bride. Mm-hmm. Right? That's our encouragement that he's a good king. He gives his life for his bride. So he'll he'll rule. Oh, that's the, interesting. The, he'll yeah. rule the world well because he died for his bride. If he and if he can take care of his bride like that, he can rule us. He, he can rule. Yeah, exactly. With that type of, we can be secure that he's that type type of guy. Right. So we're judging his character all based off of how he treats his woman. Right. Exactly. And so when a when you've got a fifteen <laughs> year old boy, and you're walking into the gas station and you catch him checking out the you know a 15 year old girl walking out the door our temptation is to say stop it cover your eyes look away mm-hmm. rather than say should we talk about how Jesus got one of those mm-hmm. for himself mm-hmm. right um and then we'll know what you need to do to become someone who you know so it has to start with Jesus right because it's not a you know, get, getting a woman is not a workspace. It's not like, you know, we do everything by faith except for <laughs> go get a woman. That we have, that's we do that by works, right? We do that. We we do it by faith because we do everything by faith from first to last. Which means first we have to understand the nature of the promises involved in the love of a man and a woman, which Solomon says is one of the only things he doesn't understand. Right? He's the <laughs> wisest person ever, and he's like, let me give you a list of some of the things I don't understand. I don't understand how birds stay up in the air. I don't understand how uh, the way of a man with his with a maid 
how does that how does he ever how does a guy ever win a girl this is there, there's there's something so mysterious mm. that even solomon doesn't understand it um but we want to break it down you know and and turn it into something we can I, I, make I think, sense of but well, but it's 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 an opportunity to say remember how jesus treats his bride cuz that's yeah. that's your goal that's that's what you want to grow up into and so yeah she's pretty like the curves are amazing and all of that mm is good. And it's good for you to desire one of those and there's but there's a a a promise under which that desire can be had by faith. Mm. And that's what we we don't we don't Yeah, because we think that because we the only thing that a guy who hasn't been taught that is thinking in his head is, "Oh boy, I better figure out how to make sure this boy isn't lusting after this woman." Right. Yeah. Right? Right, and so the desire and lust aren't separated because they're running right next to each other, and we're like, "That was trouble for me. I'm going to help him out. Yeah. Put the glasses on. Look this way, son." Like that. And, and here's the thing: is the I, I'm convinced that the reason that we can't do it is because we don't take our shame to the cross, mm. and so we see our shame in, in our, our sons, kid, in yeah. our sons. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, be, and because we haven't, we 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 don't believe the gospel actually takes away our shame. We don't raise our sons well, and, or our daughters well either, right? Because you know they they go and they see, you know, um, they 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 see a guy attracted to a girl, and they think, "Ooh, I want that. I want that attraction. Right? Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah." They, um, and we don't. And instead of saying. Good. Okay. All right. Let's talk about what does that mean? Why is it that God created you that way? Um, right. That uh, uh, we were talking about um, the woman at the well this week. Yeah. Right. That when Jesus looks at her and says, <clears throat> woman, right. That um, she comes under conviction because she hasn't been using her femininity the way God designed it to use and that because that's good news to her right when he says here is the way your femininity is supposed to be used right here's here's um there there's a way for that to be used properly she runs back and says you guys got to hear this right the um the there's a there's a proper way to be a woman right there there's a fruitful way to I- embrace and enjoy my femininity um, you know, my wife is really funny. But whenever the girls are leaving the house, she always she's like, "All right, hey, go have fun. Guard your carnal treasure, <laughs> right? Guard your carnal <laughs> and, treasure." And they all laugh and they're like, "Oh, mom, that's so awkward." And she says it with all their friends around. But, um, <laughs> Might have to steal that line. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, and, and um, but that that there's something. That there, that there is a treasure that God is bringing to the world through them, right? Yeah. And and um, there's something good intended by all of it, and and uh, it's the it's the same reason that we want our sons opening the doors for their sisters. Some guy that's not going to treat her like she's a treasure and an avenue through which treasure and glory comes into the world. Um, you know, that's is, we we, we want some guy to doesn't open the door. And her immediately to think, 
like, dude, my brothers would never let me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my brothers would never treat me. Like, we want our sons planning on having the kind of brother-in-law that they want by how they treat their sister. Yeah. To see their sister and think, what kind of brother-in-law do I want? I'm going to treat my sister the way I want someday to have a, a guy treat her. Yeah. When he's married, so that I can have a good brother-in-law. I, um, and what you just did in all of this was connect back word to image, right? Right. That's repairing that that fraction that's there, that that separation that's there between the art, the beauty, the visual that we see, along with the actual um, words. Yeah. What, so that we can make sense of it. What, what kind of creature am I? Is a question of what. What image? What am I imaging, and what story am I in? Right, the word and the image within me are pulled back together by the gospel, and then I transform the world in such a way that word and images are pulled back together. So we got there because, again, so we were talking about the World Economic Forum, talking about ESG. <laughs> you walked in, I was like talking about ESG <laughs> scores. I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated by it because I keep on thinking. Like again, I would say this. The world is going a particular type of direction. It's going to the culmination of Christ ruling and reigning on his throne in time and space when he comes back. Right? He's reigning now, but we'll we'll visually see it at that point um, after God has conquered all his enemies and put them underneath his feet. And so I see the the leaven and loaf rising. Right. In when I look through the past and I look through the present, I'm seeing oh the world sees this too. <laughs> yeah. right? They know there is going to be a central throne which all things will come from. Right? They understand in one way or another that now they're getting it wrong because they refuse to acknowledge the reality of who's going to be sitting on that throne. Right. <laughs> but when when um and so I'm trying to I mean I think it's a Napoleon type of moment. What do you mean? Right. So after the French Revolution um they separated the they the revolutionaries they tore down the statues they they did everything you know they even restarted the calendar they did everything started they, at one again at one again they, they restarted because they were saying we need to separate from all of our traditions separate from the past and rebuild humanity along these new philosophical lines right yeah and that led to a third of Paris going to prison, you know, you had um, the the mass mass murder, um, the, the invention of the guillotine. The, the, yeah, the, the that in order to efficiently <laughs> take the heads off people, you had to actually invent a machine. A sword is taking yeah. too long. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, so the guillotine ends up like <clears throat> thumping through uh, do, do, so many do. people oh. that uh, the chaos needs to be brought. To bay, and so Napoleon shows up, right? So you get an emperor, you mm. get you get a tyrant that, and it's what makes Napoleon such a difficult figure is Napoleon really does rescue France from devouring itself, and Napoleon is a tyrant. <laughs> so, but but the tyrant was brought in. He was better than right by the release. <laughs> By the release of the uh, the violence, of I, the erotic violence. I got to tell you what my wife, my daughter said. So we're watching What is a Woman? 
by Matt Walsh watching this documentary and this it's a good documentary. I have some problems with it. It's a good documentary. Yeah. Though. Everybody needs to watch it. Um and my I'm watching it with my daughter and my son. We're watching it as a family and we're stopping and talking about the gospel, how God made the world. It's really good. And my daughter's in the other side of the room and she's watching it and she's like, Oh man, he's like, he's so good. And, he's, and I was like, Yeah, he is. I was like, Would you believe me if I told you he was a Catholic? And she's like, He'll do for now. <laughs> I was like, girl, daughter's 14. Like, you got, you get it. You know, it was what it was. It's like Napoleon. Like, yeah, totally. He'll do He'll for, do now. for <laughs> now. He'll do for now. And, um, but, yeah. but God basically was like, okay, France is going to destroy itself. And I've got plans for French people to stand before my throne at the end of time. So he's got to rescue <laughs> France. So he sends in Napoleon. Like a, a, so, diff- a gracious judgment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and, you know, God's judgments are that way. <laughs> but there's no doubt that Napoleon is a judgment. Um, but you, looking back in history, you also see the way Napoleon was a blessing um, in the story, right? At, and, uh, um, and I think we've got something similar going on right now with the, with the rise of tyranny. I mean, we, you look at what we're doing to ourselves right now. I mean, I, I don't go on Twitter very often, but you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I, Hardly I, ever. I went on, um, uh, I went on this morning and there was a, a lady doctor on there explaining that having a baby will ruin your body and you need to know it so that you can responsibly. So women can responsibly, choose to not have children because it's going to ruin their body and your body will never be the same. And really, so, did, did people not know that? I mean, I don't think that I think pretty, I mean, <laughs> I think people know that, right? I don't think that's the reason um, that, that with it, of course it changes you. Not being, not having the body of a 15 year old or a 17 year old or a 22 year old anymore. Um, that's only a bad thing. Um, if there's no, you know, if there's no reward, right? Like, and the, the reward is children, right? The reward is getting to be a mother. The war, the reward is the, the growth in the relationship, the growth that happens in marriage, the reward is grandchildren eventually, great grandchildren, and the the generations that come from them that that rise up and call you uh, blessed, and then the eternal reward of eternity with all of these people that came through you, getting to be the door, and that's why we hold doors open for women because we all came through the door of a woman. Mm. Uh, uh, the at that mm. is such a blessing. They're like, well, I would, I would rather stay closed and never become a door through which people come into the world. It's funny to me that liberals never seem to see trade-offs in economics, but always seem to find trade-offs at life. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? 
And they just, she just had no problem telling you, hey, you know, if you have children, <laughs> your body, whew, yeah, it is not going to be the same as it was before. Things will be different for you. Right. Now, you could have grandkids after this, and you could yeah. have a whole generation of people who love you and take care of you. It might be your blessing that you don't even know about. But do you really want to mess yeah. up your body? You really mess up your body. Well, here's the trade-offs here. All of a sudden, she's talking trade-offs. It's right. like, when did you? Well, I think what's so hard, too, is like um, something that was never explained to me about marriage and the way and the what happens in marriage over time is the depth of love that I have for my wife now is not something I could have imagined. No, I I keep telling people that they don't hear me when I say this. But it's but I like I didn't have imaginative space for it. I don't, there's no way Right, but nobody ever tells you that either. Right, yeah. That's true. That's what messed, that's what made me mad. When I got married, <laughs> so we're what, 17 years now? What were you at? Yeah, uh, 20, 23. 23. Okay, so yeah. I know that at 23, whatever I got at 17, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, totally. Like, but I, and I try and tell people, they don't be listening. <laughs> you don't know how good this is. Right. Well, we, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be out somewhere and my wife will be like, don't look over there. You got some young hoe over there. Just, and I'll be like, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's funny. Erin yeah. is yeah. hilarious. She's, hilarious. <laughs> she's the funniest person I've ever. And, uh, and and she's being she's kind of being funny, but also she's like she's kind of not. Kind of not. She she nails so, you, it. You know. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, there. Are, she didn't bring four of my babies into the world, right? Like, there's no. I'm I'm right. not interested in that, right? I I don't I don't know how you could. Jump ship, <laughs> right? When, when you, like we've raised four children together, we've got adult children now. Like I, the the idea, like I just saw, um, the uh, man somebody talking about, or there was a divorce of an older couple, and it was an older NBA guy. I can't remember who it was now, um, and they were talking about, and but I think it was Jason Whitlock. I think that's where I heard about it is he put something up there like he reposted something about like, dude, don't let your marriage fall apart. Mm. You don't. I know you think you want to go back to dating, but you don't want to be out here. <laughs> yeah, you don't. And so it was a guy that had gone through divorce like five years earlier and, and Whitlock had reposted it. And I, and I was like, I can't even imagine that because. How how what would how would you be attracted to somebody that hasn't had your children? Like, mm-hmm. It gets mm-hmm. so wrapped up. The our the the story of our marriage has so much hidden glory that only she and I know. The stuff we've been through, the times we've run out of money and not had any, the times that we have gone through health crises, the times that you know that that the doctor says. Hey, you've got this, you know, here you've, you've, uh, um, my, at one point, so this was about six, 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 seven years ago. Um, Aaron had just been really sick and really sick and it kept getting worse. Went in and you were trying to figure out what it was. And she was diagnosed with uh chronic lung disease, which oh, is what yeah. her mom died of. Yeah. And it thankfully it turned out to be a misdiagnosis. Yeah, she was allergic to acacia trees, and we had moved on to a property that ha- they had planted acacia trees to mark the edges of the property. So there were thirteen 
our house was surrounded with 13 acacia trees and we didn't even know what acacia was. And so, um, misdiagnosed, but basically being told, Hey, your wife has eight months to two years mm. to live and she's going to die the same way her mom did. And we, you know, I, I, and I had, I, w- we were married when my mother-in-law, uh, died. And so I watched my mother-in-law go through it and, you know, the, the depths of mm-hmm. grief involved. And then my, my mom had to come and move in with us. Well, and to, as we were working through it and then, um, the, and then the joy of discovering that wasn't what it was and then being able to you know, move and she got better. And, you know, the, like that whole, that, that part of our story, nobody else has. Right. Right. So yeah. the, the kind of, the kind of bond that the, the living bond of the covenant of marriage, um, I think is something that because we, we have separated image and word and we've separated our marriage away from what Christ has done on the cross. And they are no longer, it, we no longer are living images of the, the, mm-hmm. the declared gospel. Um, we, we don't have, we, we don't let history knit us close together. Mm-hmm. We don't let hit history, our histories become the, 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 um, continually knitting uh, process of the Holy Spirit the way God intended him to be. So I think somehow too, you know, you were talking about wisdom and Solomon. Somehow I think that one of the things that we got to rediscover as men, everybody's talking about being a man right now. Everybody's talking about masculinity right now, but it's somehow disconnected from women. I don't like that. Right. Right. It's disconnected. So, um, there's a couple things here, um, and we're still talking about the, the World Economic Forum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because it's the way the world works. There, um, inside of you know, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, thinking about D Day and thinking about those kind of men that existed, yeah. and how that men like that build environments and cultures that allow us to be on microphones like this in an air conditioned room in a safe environment. We don't expect anybody to run in and blow us up or shoot us. Right. Um, we are on a foundation of, of strong men who, who sacrifice their lives that we will never know. Right. And they will be forgotten. And the only thing that will stand will be the beauty of what it is that they have. But that's what foundations do. Yeah foundations no one walks in a building and says wow what a beautiful foundation <laughs> right that's not what men are for yeah and anybody who walks inside of a building and says what a beautiful foundation is missing the point yeah <laughs> right or they're an engineer <laughs> missing the point yeah, exactly. <laughs> i build buildings this is so yeah he can see better it's right. you know it's like a theologian he can walk in and see the reason the beauty exists is because it's standing yeah. on something you know I almost i want to say that i can tell everything about a man by seeing his wife and family that's all i need to know mm-hmm. i can i've seen some amazing guys in person i see their family i'm like you aren't amazing right right like yeah. you you have you, missed there's a facade yeah this is pride you're about you and you haven't thrown yourself into your family i don't care how much knowledge you have 
your family is what tells on you. Yeah. And it's what qualifies you or disqualifies you from a lot of different offices. But because because when you take on an office, the the institution that you're an officer of will become like your wife. Boy, that's scary (laughs) because we got a lot of people serving in areas of offices that are divorced Mm -hmm. and have rejected. We were just talking about this the other day. Gabe says this. He says weird stuff sometimes, but he's so right. But he was talking about Fox and what they do. And he's like, all you have to do is look at all the people at Fox and all of them, their divorce rate is through the roof on the third marriage. You know, okay, maybe the this isn't even biblical, but I'm just saying maybe the first time, you know, what you was doing, you weren't a Christian. Something happened. The second time and the third time, something's wrong with you. Right. And and then uh, we're sitting here sopping up all this morality from someone who doesn't have any equity for it you know and so there is this loss in our conversation of masculinity we've put the focus on foundation without understanding that foundation is the thing that holds up the beauty so something that when you see a woman who is doing her work well, who is happy and joyful, who has kids who obey her and people talk about her, it, that is what's supposed to happen. Right. A beautiful home is the kind of home that has a man who's been forgotten because he's holding and doing his thing right. You know, yeah. it's like, where's your dad at? Oh, somewhere in the library, <laughs> cutting the grass, mowing. You know, I don't know. He comes around for dinner. We all have a great time, but he'll be here soon. But they're all having a blast, right? right? Yeah. Because of what he has sacrificed for so that that beauty can exist. And we've forgotten that. We've forgotten. So when we talk about hard men, when we talk about men, the our purpose and what we um, need to be focused on is the beauty and the love of, of our women, and our wives so that we can produce families that are beautiful because love for our wives is what makes us do what we do. Right. <laughs> right? Was, well, I, we, we were just in a um, one of our uh, meetings at, at Laura was last week. And, uh, you know, it's all the founders of the company are there. And one of the guys was like, at what point did you realize that your decisions actually mattered as with what you did actually made a difference between whether or not you were going to be successful or not. And, uh, <laughs> we all kind of laughed and we we're like, when we met our wives, mm. <laughs> every single one of us, it was, you know, when, when I met, mm. <laughs> when I met that girl and thought, Oh shoot, I got to stand up straight. If I'm going to take her home, I, you know, and to, you know, to a, to a T, every single one of us, it was that moment. And so, you know, we, we joke around cause you know, we've got some boys in the house that we're raising and, uh, you know, my wife does an amazing job of, of teaching them and training them and talking to them and helping them understand things. But there are times where you're just like, it just is like dropping marbles on an empty bowl <laughs> like and uh um last week i was like you're doing an awesome job he he needs to meet a girl though like mm. so keep uh, keep keep the all, everything you're saying is going to make sense to him when mm. he meets that girl and he says okay and she's like how 
how do you like and you know and she's like i don't get that and i was like but you remember you, you, <laughs> you forgot you, about you me. Remember me? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah. It's been twenty three years. Yeah. You never forgot. Yeah. yeah. So it's the, that there's this, um, there's this. I, it's I. It, there's something in the way God designed men that <coughs> that there's a it's a, it's a switch or it's not, even, it's not even a switch. I don't. There's that there's a resonating that happens in a in a deep part of who they are that doesn't come alive until it's time to go win a girl right that, that, that there's something about god god's design and i i mean i think that's the reason there's 4000 years of history before jesus comes right that the world entered puberty i mean <laughs> i'm sorry what did you just say we, the world entered puberty i think i mean i that's what it, that's that's my theory. I don't know. Oh, oh please tell more. <laughs> I mean, I think I think there's because pe- people are always like, why did God wait so long to send Jesus? Wait so long to call Abraham? And I was like, have you? The not, world had to grow. Yeah, up. the world had to grow up. I mean, there's a there's a maturity, and it was going to happen anyway. I mean, if you look at the garden, there's a form mm-hmm. of it's like, hey, go take dominion. There is right. a form of, right, oh man, you know what? Hold it's, on, that makes a lot of sense because now if you think covenantally. And you think about this in a post-millennial, even if you're not post-millennial, yeah. which everybody's post-millennial, <laughs> uh, you're always thinking about a form of maturity of time in some right. sense. You're thinking about of a growing up stage of the world. Adam had the garden that was immature, and eventually he was supposed to grow up to be a full man. Right. He was being taught by that, – that's so – okay, that's interesting. So, I, Because I think that time is actually a blessing, right? And we always want – we always want things, especially now, we want it immediate. Right, we, even more now so than in other times because of the tech, the technological blessings that come. You know, um, I I used to have to go. I, you know, I inherited a, a really cool uh, encyclopedia of the history of art from my mom. My mom was an artist. She's a really great painter. And, you know, we've got some of her paintings around our house, and she has really great pencil drawings and um, and uh, she. When when my when they were, when my mom and dad were young, they saved up and bought this really nice encyclopedia of art, and and I, it's got all sorts of ta- tabs in it from things that I've looked up and read on, and um, and I but I used to have to say like okay, well I got to wait till I get home because I got to look up the you know I would make a note about you know reading something and it'd be Botticelli's Venus and I'd be like oh god I gotta go look at that so we have to wait till I get home. Go to the Encyclopedia of Art, look at it, find it, and now it's like Botticelli's Venus. Oh, on your phone. Pull it up on Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia is, I think, one of the greatest things ever. Even though sometimes it's not accurate, it's. I mean, that's the that's how libraries work. But you've got like the the largest library in the history of the world in your pocket all the time. Um, Google Books, you know, uh, which has been taken down because of fascism, but. <laughs> but you said Google, so yeah. I know, exactly. <laughs> so, but you had um, we want things so instantaneously that I think we have the illusion of knowledge often rather than, mm, than real, real knowledge, knowledge. Um, because we've got the facts, but we don't we don't 
can you separate that? Can you so what's the illusion of knowledge versus real knowledge? So if you had to say like real knowledge is what uh, experiential, um, or, or I think it's historical. Ah, uh, it's covenantal. Yeah, it's covenantal. So, uh, so um, interesting. Adam knew his wife, right? And we we tend to think, oh, that's a euphemism that because the Bible's embarrassed to talk about sex. But it's not embarrassed to talk it about is sex, not, right? No, not at all. So I, I think it's it's actually um, it's explaining to us that there is a kind of uh, that that there's that that knowledge is a historical, growing, maturing thing. So, um, so there's a difference between you know we were just talking about this with with um, you know. Dealing with financial woes, yeah. uh, in you, where you know it's like, look, I I trust Jesus. Okay, He's going to take care of me. He's got the cattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else. And you also know you don't know because uh, you know you're worrying or you're up at night or you're waking up in the morning out of a you know into a sudden like, oh my gosh, I got I got this, I got that. I get, how am I going to make it? How am I going to get the bills paid? You um, so you you can know and know that you don't know because you have because the knowledge has to work itself into your habits of thought, work itself into your habits of action, work itself into your habits of of being. Is that through a rem- time? Is that a remembrance type of thing? So when you say <clears throat> that's why you know you see the Old Testament, they would leave markers. Mm-hmm. Say, remember when we couldn't get on the other side of this? Yeah, and God came through for us. Oh, look at here. Here's wells that were planted by our forefathers because God was good to right. them. So that's a covenantal kind of thing. That leaves knowledge, so we can trust God, even though we might not have the same sort of experience that they've had. But here's a sign right. of God's faithfulness. Well, we have the Bible, <laughs> right? How much? <laughs> more how much we have the resurrected christ you know right yeah and i th- and i think that's that it that working the the historical the knowledge the knowledge um about and the knowledge of maybe i don't know how exactly to divide it but you you can know about the fact that god is going to take care of you and then you meet old people who mm-hmm. say Look, let me tell you some stories. I remember my dad telling the story of, of, uh, um, he and my mom newly married, and they uh, they had this jar uh, jar where they were saving up for snow tires, you know, because that's what you need up in this area, snow tires. They had a car with no snow tires, and uh, and my dad, uh, you know, uh, saying. Hey, meeting somebody who needed the money more than them and saying, okay, I'm, I'm sure God's going to take care of us. And they gave their snow tire money, um, to somebody who needed it. And, uh, my mom came home and was like, you did what? It's like, I gave away our snow tire money cause they needed it. I was like, yeah, but we actually need snow tires. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I think God will, God will have to provide us the snow tires. And, and my mom was she said I was really upset, and you know, and uh, but then my, we, he, my dad was um, on his way to to school or to work. I can't remember, and picked up a hitchhiker, and because um, that's how my 
that's a big part of my dad's salvation was a, a hitchhiker. Two hitchhikers in a row shared the gospel with him. And that was his first introduction to the gospel. And his heart burned inside. Of <laughs> yeah. Well, he just, he, he was like, well, that's weird. And it's the first, you know, first was a group of Jesus people, hippies, picked him up and said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And he said, I'm a Catholic. We don't do that. <laughs> but he said, I didn't even know what it was to, that, what it meant that I was a Catholic. He's like, mm-hmm. I just knew that I had heard that growing up. We're Catholics. And so we don't, you know, and, and then, uh, this, this group of hippies drops him off and the, um, next person that picks him up is this little old lady and says the exact same phrase that the, this group of like 19 year old whack job hippies that just all just got saved. Um, so he, so he could set them aside as, well, no, they're just crazy. But then this little old lady picks him up in her car and the exact same phrase comes out of her mouth. And he says, you know, I, I don't, but, this group of hippies just picked me up and said the same thing. So how about you tell me about it? Right. Mm-hmm. So she sort of explains it to him. Um, and so he might, so my dad, um, he picked up hitchhikers the rest of his life as a way of remembering mm-hmm. God's grace. And so, and so I, I pick up hitchhikers now as a way of remembering God's grace to my dad and, and, um, have gotten a chance to share the gospel, picked up weirdos and crazy people and never with my kids in the car, but, um, but, uh, and so my, um, my dad picks up this hitchhiker and he says, Hey, if you just drive me up here, um, you know, I've got another car. I just need to come back out and, um, and fix my broken car or uh, jump my car with it. And he's like, okay. And she takes him up to his car and he says, you know, while you're here, I got these four snow tires. You, do you, do you want them? And it was the exact snow tires that they were saving up to buy. And so he's like, yeah, this would be great. So throws him in the back of his car and brings him home. It's like, ta da! You know, so look at God. You, um, so when you're raised hearing stories like that, um, that helps immensely to because you, you, now you're you're building generational habits of trusting God, not just singularly. And so, and then when you're raised hearing stories about grandma and grandpa being provided for, hearing you know, parents tend to want to hold back all of their worries from their kids, but then that, that holds back God's relief of the worries from your kids Mm. too. And so living Mm. in such a way that you share, Hey, we don't have enough money for this month. We're going to pray. And and then they get to see God provide, right? Um, Because they're, Covenantal children right, who should be right. baptized because <laughs> you're teaching them to pray like, right. you, pray, like you pray, right? And for them to say, God answered my, <laughs> my prayer. Prayers. Yeah. So that, then mm-hmm. they get to grow up in that. And then, then they get to see God provide for them as well. And so there's this, you know, there's a, a generational faithfulness that, um, that helps, but it's still all the history of God taking what we know to be true and turning it into a way that we live right mm-hmm. uh, from faith to faith is the, uh, is the way God w- works it out. So, okay. So here's, I have some, we, I'm going back to the world economic forum. Okay. Cause I think we got all kinds of stuff in there. Images, New modern era, this whole nine, and I keep pushing this idea that's inescapable that we are going to go in a particular yeah. type of direction. Okay, am I wrong to say 
the World Economic Forum gets it right, but they get it wrong. So the World Economic Forum is seeing a world where there's going to be one Lord, one setup that is going to manage and run the whole world and that it's going to create this harmony <laughs> because of this. And everybody's going to have to come under submission to that. So when I see ESG, yeah, um, en- environment, social governance, that's the way that companies are being traded right now, starting to be traded. And people will have are starting to have in their own, their own ESG, ESG score, right? So how are you with the environment? What is your engagement with social issues and then how it is your, go- I don't know what they would do with governance for individuals. I'm guessing it's their home. It'd have to be something like that. But when I go out to, I am operating with that kind of worldview, but with a different King, a more gracious, loving King. I'm saying to companies, <laughs> no, you can't do this. This is wrong. God will judge you for your sin on that. Repent. Here's the way that you govern the world. Here's the way that you do economics. Here's the way that you do business. I'm coming with a whole worldview of what's good, righteous, and just. Yeah. So the question isn't to me whether or not we're going to have a one world order. Uh, we already do. Okay. Right. <laughs> the creator made the world. It's his world. He's given out the orders and you have to obey. The question is who is going to be Lord over this one world order? Because when Jesus said all authority was given to me, go and make disciples baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That wasn't just to one particular place. It was to the whole world right, because he's right. king of the world. So not just this mountain, but not just this mountain. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't want, I don't look at the world economic form and be like, Oh, they're totally getting this wrong. I want to look at them and say like, they have the wrong structure of what this is going to look like, but they're creating a form of morality. They're creating a form of Levitical priests. They're, they're being theonomous in a negative sense of the way because they have the wrong God. But we look at the world economic form and we think, Oh my goodness, this is horrible. Now I think the way that it might happen would be small entities Coming, coming into covenant with each other and bonding with each other underneath the umbrella of Christ, right? And so I can see that just like the same way we see churches who have um, Christ as their head are not all unified, but are unified underneath a particular doctrine and share in that relationship. And so I think the church is the model of what it will look like in a lot of ways or the discipling model of what it would look like to the rest of the world. For Jesus to be king of the world and without separate, without um, this autonomy from each other, right? So yeah. we ha- we will have certain things, but inside of these spheres. So you got the home, you have the the civil magistrate, you have the church, you have, and I, I'll say this again: home and ec- economy. I don't want to separate those two things; are the same for me. Yeah. But those are separate entities, but are still under the same type of authority. Which what is righteous and what isn't all that ESG is doing is is the attempt of the secularist to recreate that type of reality at the end of the day. And I see everybody running from it. And I'm just like, wait, I want to run from you being in charge of that yeah. and how that's designed to be set up and operate because you will bring you are a judgment. Right. And I think you get world economic form. It's almost like what you said with um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Napoleon. Right. right. <laughs> well, these guys are going to destroy themselves. And here's the World Economic Forum. 
Right. It, I, it's I a think horrible tyranny. It is. It's a, it's a t- it, well, And by the way, this is not me supporting the World Economic Forum <laughs> no, at no, all. I, you're, you're trying to say, what story are we in? Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. It, I mean, I th- so I think there's a. It, it, it could be a Babel situation, situation yeah. where you've got a false mountain, right? Uh-huh. So you know, uh-huh. mount, you've got the mountain of the Lord that we're supposed to go up, and then you've got the false mountain of Babel. We'll build our own we'll mountain. We'll build our own mountain. Yeah. Um, the, and those always come down, and and then you know God in his sovereignty supersedes but I also think I think there is so there's a um, something that is in the that it's that starts with uh, Boethius in the Consolation of Philosophy. Um, Boethius was a he was a Roman a Roman Christian and um, a heret when a heretical governor takes over. He holds fast to orthodoxy and ends up in prison, but he was he was nobility, and so prison for nobility in the late Roman antiquity is is like you have to stay, like you're forced to stay at my lake cabin. This is a house restraining order. Yeah, it's like yes, but so it's still it's kind of like a nice. It's not a bad thing, but then he ended up executed. But he. He didn't expect to end up executed. <laughs> Do um, we ever? <laughs> right. Yeah. But but it, he but it was um, it was false charges. But it was false charges because he was he stayed orthodox when the when the governor became mm-hmm. a heretic. He did, started denying the Trinity and and um, and he had written literally written the book De Trinitas, a defense of the Trinity mm. before. And then when the, so the governor, so he, he becomes sort of persona non grata. And well, he, he wrote the consolation of philosophy and in there, he develops a theory of history um, that called the wheel of fortune, <laughs> the wheel, the wheel of fortune. So history um, is, is, uh, is ruled under God by, fortune um and uh that god so th- that there's no the that the that there is an up and down movement as history moves forward of particular people and nations so sometimes they rule sometimes they don't um and that you can expect that that the who is at the top and who is at the bottom to shift and change and because of that when you're at the top you need mm. to act a certain way because at some point you're going to be at the bottom, and so you, how you treat the people at the bottom is important because that can be as shifting. it moves forward, yeah. that's going to shift, and you're training the people at the bottom how to for when they, they get, get to the, the top, top on how yeah. to treat you when you're at the bottom, right? So that there's this, um, and that that is that that um, and that has to do with you know economics, power, you know all of those things, and that it's actually a good thing for the center of economic and political power to shift and move from people group to people group to people group mm. that, it, that there's a blessing in that, um, that, but it's still a forward movement, right? So hi, as history moves forward, there's also a death and resurrection happening within 
peoples mm. uh, that, that interesting and um, and the so that is really important in terms of the, the theory of history in the establishment of Christendom in the Middle Ages. So that was one of the things that everybody agreed on was that that you're going to have a within you know so the, you have all of these nations um this there's a feudal there's feudal systems as well as clan systems as well as kind of tyrannous kingdoms that all exist within Christendom and they all have their own way of self-rule um but what they because they all agreed on um the what they called the fickleness of the wheel of fortune right that i c- i can't guarantee so i can have money in this generation and my kingdom might be at the top right now but i can guarantee that it won't always stay there because of that i need to treat the poorer nations within christendom a particular way mm. right so um is this this is kind of why I hear Doug say, "Hey, when, if you have to create a society, you want to create a society where if you didn't know where you were going to enter into that society, you would be fine." Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And so, so there's something, and so that that's one of the foundational aspects of that Christen that has been lost from Christendom, right? When Christendom fell apart, and I mean, it, Christendom really existed until World War One. So World War One was it, it was the dismantling, really? the final dismantling of Christendom. Yeah. So, um, in terms of, you know, the, um, the agreed upon rules of how we treat one another, even if, even if we have to go to war, there's still an expectation that we are going to treat one another a particular way, knowing that I might defeat you in this war, but the way that I treat you when right. you're my prisoner makes a difference because you're probably going to defeat me in the next war. You're so right about that. That's what you saw at the end of World War One. We probably wouldn't have had World War Two had they actually been gracious yeah. in how they treated their the people that they conquered in World War One, right? And the people who they conquered with in World War One, right? They just kind of smugged off Japan and like there's a lot of things that happened. And that's a good point. Okay, that's yeah. okay. Okay. So anyway, so that the the theory of history. Um, the, so the the optimistic understanding of history is is all throughout the Middle Ages. I mean, you have some places where it dips in it, but but for the most part, there was an optimistic expectation that as the gospel goes forward, um, the world changes. The, the world changes, but it doesn't change in a sort of you know the it it, it you're moving up the way when you're hiking like. Through a mountain range, like like puberty and child, like maturity, right? Yeah, yeah. It matures. So what you're saying is, it's not like a, it's not like a French Revolution, right? So I, <laughs> I, I think the World Economic Forum is more along the lines of, so they that's facts. they have that yeah. optimistic, they have a secular optimistic eschatology, yeah. Um, but that if the, that it's going to keep moving up and up and up and up. Um, and that that and that that is what blessing looks like. So yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas in in Christendom, for England to look over and see France be blessed um, is that's a good thing, right? It's a blessing. And even if so, um, 
so what f- what finally tore Christendom apart was mercantilism. Yeah. Right. Which it, which is when my economic um, gain depends on your economic loss. Yeah. Right. It's um, it's what we get when we play with the markets a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so I can only gain when um, so mercantilism and Marxism have that same assumption: the zero sum economics. Yeah. Um, that there's a particular amount and for me to have some you have to have less for me to have more you have to have less but that's not the kind of world we live in right so Merc- uh, and in the middle ages they understood that right that that me having less and you having more has nothing to do with economics it has to do with god's rule and reign mm. and his decision about what's best for our nation and our for our spiritual growth and maturity Right, so he he moves us up and down on the wheel of for, the wheel of fortune rolls. We move up and down in God's sovereignty. Huh? In God's sovereignty, and that's because God has God has a spiritual hope for our people, mm. right? a, a a maturity that He is moving us towards that requires death and resurrection, and uh, including economic death and resurrection. And so, if I'm at the bottom. It's not because you took from me that you're at the top, right? It's because God has the same plan for your people as he does for my people, for the French as he does for the English as for Mm. the German, which is the continued spiritual growth and maturity. And he uses economic ups and downs in order to develop develop those maturities maturities within us. So, And that's why the church is a non-economic institution – being the thing that held together Christendom um, was so important, right? The church and, and why when the church became an economic institution, Christendom starts to. When, when did the church become economic institution? Do you think? Um, 1400s is, it was really when you start. Oh, it's the Catholic church, right? You start seeing the. Yeah. This was about a hundred years before the reformation. You really start seeing. Yeah. Penance the, and the, yeah, the the formation of standing armies in the church, which is an act for economic reasons. Um, the def, uh, so I mean, what happened? And the the three popes, um, all kind of forming, you know, trying to take over. The reason you get multiple popes is because you control enormous amounts of land and money and resources. And you have Did they not power. read Leviticus? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, I mean, no, they didn't. They, they didn't read it. The what were they yeah. doing? Like was, there was. So you have. So and there was one tribe that didn't get land. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. And and the, it's important for the Levites to, to know to have the the Levites non-economic existence or their their existence as a non-economic tribe um, is really really important for the economic health of everyone. Right. right? Because the economic health of everyone is a covenantal blessing that's based on faithfulness uh, and the faithfulness or, uh, but, but it, it is not in itself the end goal. Yeah. Right. right. So um, you, you know, the, the church, it's so important for the church to, to be a non-economic institution. I mean, this, this is why the tax, the tax benefit, you know, what we call tax benefits were established you know, in the common law, the common law system, the tax benefits of the church 
they're not tax benefits. It's the acknowledgement that the church is not an economic institution. The church is out, is not a capitalist institution. So am I, am I seeing the, so break apart then what I'm seeing when I look at the world economic form, because I see them and I'm like this wrong, that wrong, this wrong, um, economics. It, so they have put salvation in economics yeah. and it's flipped backwards. Economic. This is like, um, uh, the world is made to disciple you into the person of Christ, <laughs> right? right? And and but they have it flipped backwards, where um, everything is that that is the salvation itself is being everybody being flat, right? Well, as everybody is having this the same amount of money or right you know, that. i'm not talking about that at all because i think that's that's not right in any way but that that's not even how god made the world right. i mean you're taller than i am right yeah, <laughs> right you know yeah. um there i got friends oh my goodness who are richer than me and poorer than me and 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 i submit to them and so there's all kinds of different realities of our humanity that don't have to be the same for us to be human right right the, well economic form doesn't believe that at all Right, because it's a Gnostic institution. Because it's, a, yeah. but and but so is everything else that we work through, you know. Like, so, right. but they're just yeah. they're just going the trajectory of the God of the age right now, you know. Um, but there's something that they don't have wrong that I think Christians have missed out on, which is there is a king, there is a central right. point to this world, not just your little circle, the yeah. whole world, right. and they are operating like that. This ESG score is a way for people to say, how do we as the world have a common moral system? Right. <laughs> and that and, is- I, and that's what the 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 common that common moral vision for the world is the thing that the if when the church when the church is is healthy and well established and is doing what it's supposed to that is the thing that makes internationalism possible that's right yeah. absolutely gary north wrote a great book on this um is it healer of the nations oh i haven't read that one uh his argument in the book which i think is phenomenal is that the church is the only real um international uh a capable international um communicator because it doesn't have any borders. Yeah. Nations have borders. Families have borders. Individuals have borders. The church is the only institution yeah. that has no borders. So its, it's kingdom <laughs> is over this world, right? The Christ right. kingdom is over this world, which they are um, uh, prophets of and priests of. So they can go to other nations and say, knock it off. Right, right. You are in sin, right? Repent to your brother nation. And act right. Well, that and I mean, you had you had emperors excommunicated, right? Until they repented <laughs> of, of things that they did that were legal, but sinful, right? Right. So, right, they, they weren't right. removing. They they didn't say we're going to make you not emperor anymore because they hadn't broken the law. Right. They had, but they had sinned grievously and publicly, and so they were excommunicated. Um, and this is Am- this is what Ambrose is one of my heroes is he he just excommunicates the emperor refuses him uh what was it 
or is it the governor of his province? I can't remember. It was a high. It was the person who has political authority over him, and he literally the he shows up and he says, "I'm taking communion anyway." It was a Nancy Pelosi moment. Oh, okay, and he goes up and lays on the table. Oh yes, I've heard this story. <laughs> and he says, "No, you're not." And he walks away angry. But he comes back eventually in sackcloth and ashes and publicly repents to his congregation of the sin that he had committed that was not illegal but was sin and is restored to the table. Um, and then, you know, and, and that's what ends up it, – and it, down the road, it actually changes the law on <laughs> um, eventually. But it doesn't start with changing the law. It starts with mm. this story – of Ambrose refusing communion to the political. And you know why? Because the church was a real government. Right. The church was a, a real government over the, over the souls of men, you know, it's spiritual things. But and this is what I think that what we see happening with, and, and again, I, the world economic forum is functioning like a God or a church and priest. Yeah. They're saying we need a world moral code. To operate with with econ- economy when people anybody talks about economy it ain't talking about business people right. and they know that they that's why they play it through businesses they're talking about homes yeah. <laughs> they every time yep so it's whatever you see happening in the supposed with the air quote business world it's actually happening with the family that's what they're getting towards right. and and so they know that but they are functioning and and i want to say that type of morality standard or that form of morality isn't up for grabs. Jesus is the one whose blood oh has paid that debt. Right. It's his. He yeah. gets to set the morality for the whole world. The difference is they are acting like that though. Unlike we right. are. And I'm like, "Hold on." When I think I think what's so and often this is how it works is a heresy is what brings the church to its senses. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and I think, um, I mean the the number of people that I've talked to that walked away from dispensationalism during COVID is through the roof. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, but the uh, what? But a big part of it is the government's overreach is a heresy. Come on, now you better say that. Right. So it's it's. And and this is what I've been, bro. Write that down. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm listening. But, so, because this and this is why you know our discussions about Hegel and Kant are so important, right? Because that's the root of the heresy. Right? Machiavelli is the that's the root. They're, those are they're folks existing in Christian settings, saying if we gather enough power to the government. We can control reality, right? The, um, now, Jesus, <coughs> every authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and his word does define reality. The World Economic Forum is an attempt to say we are going to get enough power that our world defines – our word defines reality. Right. Right. So, um, it, I mean, it was – but it was Machiavelli – that gave the – he was the one that established the uh, metaphysical uh-huh. uh, argument for that. It was Hegel that uh, established the um, the 
historical Mechan- mechanism yeah. of that. And it was Kant that uh, that put it together into a um, into a into a system um, that that the rest of the that Christendom said okay to. Oh. Right, Christendom said, "Okay, now we can stomach that heresy. Now we will swallow it into ourselves." Um, and so, Machiavelli, Hegel, Kant, uh, are—that's the root of the heresy. The World Economic Forum is, you know, and Hitler's Germany, uh, everything the, that happened in the, the first USSR, century, yeah. uh, Mao's China, the uh, Pol Pot's. Uh, Pol Pot's um, Cambodia, the oh the the uh, guy in in um, Zimbabwe with his, who was supported by the USSR, uh, same same thing, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know who that is. Uh, and they made that movie, The Last King of Scotland. Okay, about him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not it was a very powerful movie. I'm not recommending it. Okay, All <laughs> but right. um, but it it it's a uh, um, but it's the it was basically an attempt to establish uh communism in in uh, Zimbabwe and you had this really crazy uh, this inc- this guy he he was not he was not crazy he was um very charming and the he uh, basically took over the revolution it was very charming but what you didn't know was the amount of violence that he was hiding. Mm. Um, right. So he was kind of a world darling. Um, people loved him. You know, he was a che, che Guevara type of type of uh, world darling. But then what was discovered um, by his, his personal doctor, who was a Scottish doctor who he had spoken on his behalf. No, he's such a wonderful guy. And, he had hidden all of it from all of these people. They find out that there's this enormous amount of violence going on in the rural areas because he is taking all the land for himself. And, mm. and um, but all of that, Ty- tyrants always want the land. That, that's the same yeah. thing with ec- with World Economic Forum, right? Like you will own nothing and love it. And it, and what <laughs> they and always come for the land. The, and this is where it's a. Um, the garden. They always come. They, for all, the they always come for the garden, Snakes. and they always want to push people into containable units, um, and and then control the land, and oh. feed the people. And so, and what were you going to say? Because um, I got one more thing I want to ask you. <laughs> so, but but what what has happened is suddenly the heresy has come to the front, and the church uh-huh. is like, wait a second, right? Because. They come and say, with enough government power you, behind me, he he now needs to be called she. Right? You're like, wait, what? And the church is starting to wake up and say, where does this come from? And realize that there's a- there's this her- this heretical um, that there's this heresy that we have said we'll leave it be. We've made we've made that deal with the devil. We'll leave it be. We'll just worry about the fundamentals, right? Yeah. And we've and the the what gets to count as a fundamental gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh huh. Um, and then and you, the, the gospel becomes this big. Right, yeah. And so fundamentalist fundamentalist you magazines like Christianity Today or yesterday which started with that 
which was started as a fundamentalist magazine. You know, all, all of a sudden you've got these, you look around and you say, oh man, we got cancer mm. and the cancer's everywhere. It has metastasized everywhere. Um, and so, uh, but thankfully God raises the dead. So yeah, that's why I'm, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. It's just like, it's, it's almost like God's like, all right, these are bones are almost dead. And yeah. so now I'm going to ask a, a prophet, Hey, can, can these can, dead bones these live? Dead bones live? Yeah. But they got to die first, you know? Right. So, and that's, and so people ask me, is there hope? I was like, only when it's all the way dead, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's when that, God likes to work, you know? So I don't, yes, but that, this is goes back to our trust in God and knowledge kind of thing. We know how God works. Right. This is why we don't have to be scared of gas prices. We don't have to be scared of what's coming. We know how God works. Faithfulness is our our goal and our key, and that's what we want to seek. Okay, so moving all this into the same, I, I don't want to switch anything. I think this is all in the same swing of things. There have been so many shootings now getting public attention that have always existed. Okay, this is not new. In in some ways, we've always known in mass shootings, and so people are talking about um, the Second Amendment. In way more destructive ways than they have before in the past. I think the Uvalde situation has made people a little concerned because of the way the police handled the situation. The fact that their kids were in there and um, it was one of the larger shootings too. Nineteen well, people. I I mean, it's hard as the information comes out to know what actually what actually happened. But you know, the reports are that they were like handcuffing parents. Yeah that were trying to run in. They were tasing adults that tried to go in and save the kids. Um, well, even some of the, the head chief officers or in the lieutenants are just saying, yeah, you know, we probably should have went in. And so that's, yeah. So, but, but so it, it's the story is not coming together into, right. an, into the narrative. I think that the left wants either. Right. 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 So, so some of it's coming out. Some of this didn't happen that way. Yeah. It's, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's, it, yeah. That, I mean, it's always a mess, but that one, I think, I think you have the, you have this building narrative that you think, okay, this is going to play right into it. And it doesn't. It's not fitting well into and any it, narrative. And now we have enough alternative news sources that you didn't have, say, ten years That's ago. That's right. That yeah. now the the story is uh, the narrative is getting harder and harder to control, or even understand. Mm-hmm. Which I think someone's the point. But nevertheless, the the liberals are taking this crisis seriously, right? And they're trying to. They had um, the Judiciary Committee. You know, they call it emergency meeting on some gun laws. I think, uh, what is uh, I have the bill here. What is it called? 7910, I think it is. Uh, what is that bill? Uh, I got so many news stories that I got from reading for Cross Politics. I was like, I know I'm going to need this at some point. I don't know if I kept it. I think it's Bill, uh, it's, um, uh, bill HR 7910. Yeah, got it. Found it. Yep. HR 79 to my memory. Look at that. I saw these books you got me reading. Yep. And the the five things that they want to do is raise the age, prevent gun trafficking. Um, they want to make sure that they get rid of untraceable firearms. They want a safe storage in your home. They want to make sure that you, this is a law that you have. That's what they're trying to do with 79 to make sure you want to know how they're going to do that. Uh, they want to close the bump stock loophole. They want to keep America safe. That's their buyback program. So that's the that's 
what Judiciary Committee is meeting on, I think even right now, I think they're trying to get something voted on this week. And I was listening to some of the conversations that was happening there, watching the committees. This is what I do for my job. So people, I hope you know I love you, so you don't ever have to do this kind of stuff. But one of the things that I started noticing was that the other side, the left, was telling much better stories than we were. Yeah. And they were telling heart-wrenching stories and, like, their appeal to emotion, while it was a fallacy, that mug was working. Yeah. And I'm totally opposed to everything that they're saying or doing. But you got you can't forget this. You have this 30% that are liberals you or progressive, whatever you want to see it. Then you have this 40% that are on the right, conservative, Republican, whatever you want to say. But that's the makeup. The fight is for this 30% in the middle. That's where the fight is. And so if you're fighting for that 30% in the middle, their stories are winsome to that 30% who doesn't swing one way or the other. And then the right comes in here after hearing all these wonderful stories and and then they they make their stance. Hey, these people want to take away your First Amendment rights and your Second Amendment rights. Most people don't even know what they are. Yeah. Right. And they say and that's what that's what they want to do. And, And the right is absolutely correct about their assessment of the left. Yeah. But they have no stories for the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or any of the amendments that hold up against the other stories. I mean, so if this was a fight and Pharaoh's men threw down their staff, the right would just say, ah, see, they play with snakes. See these guys up here with snakes while they're holding their staff in their hand. Yeah. And so snakes, we know this is this is witchcraft. But they have nothing there to swallow up the other serpents. And I'm looking at this like, guys, when this is not, this is not going to win the day. Right. We're all saying this is not beautiful. (laughs) This is true, but there's no beauty behind it. So then it doesn't give any equity to this at all. And I was like, I want to talk. What are the kind of stories or how do we need to be dealing with? I'm grateful for the First Amendment. I'm grateful for the Second Amendment. I think these are good things. But how do I start communicating these in a way where the stories about these commitments, these these, these um, amendments are persuasive in a way that swallows up the other side's story without poo-pooing on it? We, got, we lost children right. to a maniac. Yep. That's a real thing. I don't know how you can't see that and not be emotionally moved by that and say, hold on, something needs to happen. Now, we can talk about what that is and have a different position on it, but I don't care who you are. I don't want to live in a world where people can just walk in and kill 100 folks. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and like, you know, and that just go unmanaged. Something's wrong here. I, wherever the system, there's a break in the system somewhere. And everybody's looking at the mechanism in one sense and examining that or saying they're all looking at the mechanism and saying, no, not this. And yes, this. And there isn't a better story that we're telling even outside. How do we deal with that? I mean, I think what's so hard is we're a long ways down the road already. Yeah. Right? yeah. So we're, it's not like, um, you know, wh- what do we, uh, it's not like we're starting from scratch. Like we're, we're starting so far down the road that people say, oh, my gosh, w- if he had never gotten a gun. Yeah. Um, in fact, if 
guns didn't exist, the world would be such a better place. At least we wouldn't have mass shootings right. like this. And you say, okay, how that and people are like, I know, we should we should get rid of guns. Like, well, or they do this other thing, which is like, listen, um, we we're just gonna live in a world where three hundred people can die, and that's just how it's gonna be. We just need to have more guns so people can shoot those guys before they kill three hundred. Right. And it's kind of a cold. It's yeah. So as if. Um, you you've got a, a sentimental argument versus a um a, a sentimental argument versus a non-sentimental argument right right and if you have to choose between sentiment you know that like like we're choosing between living kids and dead kids mm. like that's the choice we're like well you know sometimes you just Got to make sacrifices for your freedom. Like, what do we? We we are not on. We are not in the same conversation, mm. right? But I don't think we realize what conversation we're in. I think that's a big part of it, um, mm. because it's not as if it, it. It's not as if there was there was no violence, and now all of a sudden there's starting to be violence, right? It's or there was there wasn't. You know, we what we have is we've got the weaponization of these stories by um, tyrants, right? Mm. Um, and and because we don't realize that's what's going on, right? We don't realize that this is actually um, this is actually a power grab, right? We we've misidentified what kind of thing is going on. We think uh, we're in one conversation when we're actually. In a different situation, also we know it's a power grab. We just don't know what what power grab they're what, what the power grab is or right. what it's for. Yeah, right. Like, so yeah, we we don't we don't understand, um, but but the um, it, it, no nobody understands what's going on. Right the the pe- the the people that are having the argument because. So a lot of this just has to do with because anybody can put their voice out there, yeah. right? Social media has made it possible for anyone to put their voice out there, and then um, for people for then people to algorithmically control which voices which get voices heard. Get yeah. heard. Yeah. So, so it must be everybody saying that. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It, um, you know, you, you uh, so we don't. What we don't have is a an actual education to sort through things and that's not coming anytime in the near future mm. you can't get you know it's going to take time to get back to that so i don't think i mean i don't think we've got a werewolf problem so there's not a silver bullet right what we have is a we've got a deeply entrenched um long-term power grab that is kind of reaching its pinnacle, um, and so the, we need to we need to actually start with our kids having these conversations with our kids, and um, kind of rethink what what is the nature of authority, what is the nature of power. So um, you know, because you've got people saying like, oh, you know what we need is. If only the police had guns, we'd be good. 
like it was less than a year ago that we were trying to defund the police, right? We we remember. Do do we not remember what the defund the police movement? (laughs) Now now we're in the arm the police movement. Like, well, it was just less than a year ago that the police were arresting the good folks. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) so all of a sudden you're we're like, wait. Now we're saying so. The fact that we could that this that this conversation was shifted so quickly and so completely from defund the police as the righteous um the the righteous answer to arm the police and take away everyone else's guns that the the flip was so complete and so quick that i think that what we need to do as christians is say oh there's something there's something there's a deeper problem than than this right so it's helpful to to you know remember the history of the second amendment it's helpful to to understand why it's there but i think that there's a, that actually our problem is a rejection of hierarchy right um a rejection of god's understanding of hierarchy that is going on um that makes us this susceptible right this susceptible to the the shift in the move and the change of things right so um the the gnostic understanding of of hierarchy is that the people with the power and the money are more human and so they get to make the decisions for us right so it makes complete sense that nobody gets a weapon except for the police except for the army except for the secret service um in that situation Mm. right because well they have the money and the power and you know the um so only important people get guns only important people get guns right so criminals and important people get guns everyone (laughs) else is just a a plebeian right everyone else is is they're either defended or taken advantage of you know um and so then we just need to increase presence of the police for the good of the people mm. right, increase right, w- um, how is that hierarchical problematic how is that a problematic situation hierarchically so is uh, that a sentence uh, it is now <laughs> uh, it, because, uh, it, because it has to do with the, uh, the nature of uh, of the uh, so Aristotle says that the people that rule um it is just for slaves to have a master because the master is more human than the slave. Mm. Right. So it's just, so there's not an injustice in, um, in his view, so long as the people up, uh, up the hierarchy are better than the people down the hierarchy. Mm, that's right. a messed up metaphysic. It's a messed up metaphysic, right? And we are slipping back into that same understanding right now, or we have slipped back into it. Um, so that when the 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 tyranny, we justify it. Right? The people at the bottom justify the tyranny. They're the ones defending it. Uh, it's not being forced on us. Um, 
there's a, a handful of small situations that's being forced on us. But for the most part, what we've learned is that the president can stand up and say, okay, everyone, you have to do this now. Mm. If you have more than 500 people in your company, you have to go get a vaccine. vaccine. And all of the companies jump too. Right. They, they come out with policy. They start right. Policy, yeah. Right. They, they respond. I think Nobody, it was more than 100. Right. Was, was it 100? It was more than yeah, 100. Yeah. Because now the president didn't have to file. He didn't have to get congressmen to file a law. He didn't have to. There, there is a way that laws are made in our country. Yeah. And it's not by the declaration of a president. Right. It literally, it says he can't do that. Yeah. Um, but we jumped too. The people jumped too. So that's a that's a metaphysical error that says he's there because he's you know he, he's president and therefore he is he's above the most us. important person right. of us. He, he he is he is the he is the one who gets to make those sorts of calls, right? Um, so, uh, but the reality is, we if we are so. The, the common law system, it, it developed the way it did with a metaphysic that understood um, that the person holding the office is – he is going to be you – know, he's going to rotate out at some point and another person is going to hold the office and it's rule of equals by an equal. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So the – and so in that situation, right, um, all, the, all the knights carry swords – um, you know, and you know, pe- people are allowed to have weapons and guns because we're equals that ha- that have cur- that currently have an equal that is there in charge, but he's a replaceable equal, right? The the office is the office of hierarchy is an office uh, is an economic, uh, not an ontological yeah. office, right? So, so. Why do the police have guns? Well, the police have guns because they're in the office of the police officer and they're there to defend the state and represent the city on our behalf or the county on our behalf. Um, never the federal government, according to our Constitution. But you're not allowed to have that. Your know, federal government is not allowed to have police. because yeah. um, yeah, that, that's, that's where we're going, though. But we're going that way, right? But that's we're, we're going that way because of a shift, a shift in metaphysics, right, that says gather power to the, to the highest possible place, the most power to the highest possible place, and you'll have control of reality. Right. That, um, mm. and, and, um, and so you've the, but if power is a, is a limited commodity, then the best way to do it is to take it away from the people at the bottom because then the people at the top have more, right? You, it, and for the people at the top to have more, they have to take it from the bottom, right? It's, it's an, a, a, there is not, um, it's, it's a, it's an, a, economic understanding of power, glory, and wealth that is limited. And so to get it to one place, you have to take it from some other place. Right. And so evolutionary, it's It's limited resources. Exactly. It's a, so, uh, power, coercive power, all of that is, you have to take it away from the bottom to get it moved up to the top. Um, 
it, well, economic form and you're thinking the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, um, so it's all it. So, but what we're do, what we do is say, well, I have a right to self-defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Now that is an ugly story and an ugly argument. Right. And, and it's going to continue failing, but it, partly because we've already bought into a bad metaphysic. A bad metaphysic. Now, yeah. um, so let's say I, w- I were getting to say, let's rebuild the rhetoric of for the Second Amendment. I, I would immediately say, never use the term self-defense again. Right? Never use that term again. Say, just reframe the whole thing as neighbor defense. I have a responsibility to protect my neighbors because you do. Mm -hmm. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important for me to have the firepower on my hip that I have on my hip. I have a responsibility to protect my neighbor. Right. I, God has raised me, has given all of us that responsibility. Um, One of the things that I think is, fascinating is in the history of education is that it was during the reformation that universal education became a desire, but it was because of the universal priesthood of all believers Mm -hmm. and the doctrine of vocation that all vocations were glorifying to God. Um, And then the, so you, you actually have a sifting out of some of the, vestiges of a uh, of a, a gnostic metaphysic uh, amongst the reformed churches that was still there through the middle ages right there's this fight for metaphysics all throughout the middle ages and the enlightenment runs with gnosticism the reformation runs with the covenantal metaphysic and universal education becomes the um the desire the mantra of the reformers because they run with this covenantal metaphysics. Um, and then the enlightenment tries to take over and claim it as its own. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it, so it's Christians are pushing for a universal education. The enlightenment sees that that's what they're pushing for. I mean, this is, this is in the American story, the enlightenment folks see that if they also push for a universal education, that the Christians will come along with them. Mm. And so they start saying, we're pushing for a universal scientific education. The Christians are like, universal education, yeah, that's what we want. And so they drop the classical education in order to combine for the universal education with the scientific education people. Um, it's got education in there. Because they've got, it's got universal and it's got education. We want those things. But they had reframed the definition of what an education was along scientific rather than historic grounds and Gnosticize ed- education and the, but the Christians were not aware of what was going on because they had made some of the same metaphysical errors and so they went along with it and Christians pushed for universal public education because they wanted a universal education and that was their idea right? they, mm. um, and so they they fell prey to it so the um, being aware of the way our own rhetoric is being warped and used against us is something that 
uh, I think we need to learn how to do and realize that so much of the rhetoric of the left about gun control is actually co-opted Christian uh, sentiment mm. being used against us. Can I push back against your Second Amendment stuff a little bit? Mm-hmm. I found it a little faulty. I found it a little faulty. Because I'm thinking there's a couple reasons. I, I hear what you're saying about rebuilding the Second Amendment. Rebuilding the rhetoric. The rhetoric. rhetoric the of, rhetoric of, of okay. the Second Amendment. So yeah. that's, okay, so that's, that's helpful. So the rebuilding the rhetoric of the Second Amendment. But there's there's still some things inside the rhetoric that I want to maintain that I think are important. And this is where I think would be helpful to work through is that, yes, I want to love my neighbor, but God has given me a garden to protect as well. Right. And so mm-hmm. part of my responsibility is to make sure that my wife can play boys to men while she's doing dishes right. and cooking dinner, yeah. and my kids can dance ABC, to it. BBD. Yeah, yeah. Um, East Coast family. And that even comes before my obligation responsibility to my neighbor. Well, right. in, in a Christian metaphysic, your wife is your first neighbor. Right. So so you would, you, yeah. I see what you're saying. So you're putting neighbor as in my neighbor is... My my first neighbor is my I wife got you. Okay, so we just need to work neighbor. through the definition of neighbor because yeah, I'm yeah. thinking like, okay. Yeah, so because... but. But self-defense is always it, – it always comes across as, I, um, you know, I'm going to be walking down the street and I'm going to be afraid. Right, 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 right. right. What, uh, you know, who's, and that's who's, fine too. I, so I don't have a problem with it. Right. So, so legally, right, that's uh, – You're talking about the rhetoric. I'm talking about the rhetoric, right? So legally, um, you know, self-defense is, is a real thing and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it sits underneath this type of rhetoric. Yeah, it it is. It if that if we lead with that rhetorically, um, we're playing right into the hands of of the way that the that our other aspects of our rhetoric are being used against us. But also, too, the other thing that I want to add to that, and and okay, I want to challenge that maybe. But there's other things I want to add to that, which is part of. I want to honor my fathers, mm-hmm. and my fathers saw you guys. As dangerous. Yes. (laughs) And that's the other aspect of the rhetoric that I think we need to rebuild. Yeah. And how do we... When when Reagan said... Or should I say, he didn't want us to become slaves. And I have a problem with that. Just say it, you know. So when when Reagan said some of the scariest language, some of the uh, scariest scariest words words you're ever going to hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? Um that and un, that uh, and so this is a his, this is part of the historical story that we have let slip away, right? That that the that gun control has always been um, the the tip of the spear for the government um, taking advantage of people, right? So this this has all become rhetoric of citizen on citizen violence. Right, uh, that 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 that's all we ever talk about. What we don't um, talk about is the way the government has used gun control to allow or to as, as a precursor to government on citizen violence. Right, so we need to be telling the story of the establishment of the gun control laws to take away uh, black guns. Come right? on now, right? We need to those we need we need. Um, the 
story, you know, stories about Venezuelan gun controls, you know, the, the, uh, but also just, you remember that the reason that we needed guns was because of the redcoats, right? Which was, they were the government, right? The government turned its guns on the citizens. And so, um, the, the King George tried to take away our guns because he wanted to be the only one that had them. Right. That's the story. We right. gotta be That's the story. So, so in terms of, you know, telling the story, we've got us, we've, we, I think we've got to rhetorically be will be able to say, look to, to that. There's a chivalrous reason to carry guns, right? That, that, uh, if you take away the guns out of the hands of all, of the chivalrous, all you get are the bad knights, mm. right? Um, this is one of the reasons I brought you the story of the champions of the round table. Is this? Oh, where's that? At? So, oh yeah, so, I got three books here. So people yeah, who can't see here. Oh, this one right here. I really like the intro to this one. So, can, can I just while you're doing that real quick? I just want to talk about the rate. How so? This is how I've been thinking about this. Okay. Um. Particularly, I want to tell right right now. It's so hot to be talk about racism and prejudice in America. <laughs> right. And so I'm seeing that that is a rhetorical argument that I want to be able to use. And I'm like, do you know how racist gun laws? Have I ever? We, we talked yeah, about we've this. We talked right? about this. Yeah. I don't. We are the some of the first gun laws we ever had in America that stopped citizens from getting weapons were designed to make sure black man, particularly freed black man. Right. Didn't get guns. And and if there's ever an argument to say, hey, um, the government treated black folks horribly, and then they made everybody black folks. <laughs> right. And treated them all horribly. This is like the argument for it. And I, I'm not going to spend all this time now because we've had a long show already. But I, the, one of the first laws in, colon, in the colony of Virginia that mentioned African-Americans was in 1664 act that barred free blacks from owning firearms. Where's that project at? Right. 1664 project. There we go. We're going to start one. Start that was 1664 We're project. in the colony. We haven't even established. Yeah. Right. It wasn't. It was free blacks. Right, right. Like, anyway, not a slave. I can get that. I can understand why you might not want a slave to have a gun. I might understand. I just want to say Abraham slaves have owned weapons. Um, <laughs> another pre-revolutionary example. And he trained them. And he trained. Come on, facts yeah. now, because they were actually you couldn't be more freer family, than an Abraham yeah. slave. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> whenever somebody can inherit your own stuff, yeah, you know yeah. you're a free man. Okay, so I, I got a. I should. Put this article up. It's so good. This is just another one. Another pre-revolutionary example is an act of an act. This is what it's called: an act for the better ordering of Negroes and slaves, enacted by South Carolina in 1712, which included provisions addressing firearm ownerships by blacks. Virginia also passed an act for preventing Negroes in insurrections around the same time. Delaware instituted a law in December of 1831 that required free blacks. To obtain firearm licenses if they wish to have weapons. In the same month, Maryland and Virginia passed laws that prohibited free blacks from carrying guns. Georgia, soon, Georgia, followed by barring free blacks from firearm ownership entirely in 1833. Hey, this ain't that long ago. Although 
Nat Turner rebellion motivated Southern legislation to reenact gun ownership to black people. Ironically, no firearms were used during that uprising. In 1844, the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled that the state versus Newsom, that laws barring free blacks from using guns, were not in violation of the Second Amendment. Right. <laughs> a similar decision was banned. A similar decision was handed down in Georgia's court case of Cooper versus Mayor or Savannah, which ruled free persons of color have never been recognized as citizens. They are not intended to bear arms. Right. And this keeps going. Right. So and, and this but this is the this is the uh, question that we should be asking. If you say you're not allowed to have guns anymore, what is that saying about who you are? What's are you the metaphysic a, of yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. You're saying you're not a citizen. You're not a free person, right? You, you are a um, an employee at best of the state, if not a slave of the state. Right? Well, you're saying we see you the same way that we saw black people in 1664. Right. <laughs> Freed black men. Can't have guns. Right? right? So and they tell, but that should have told you then the mentality of the culture, where it was going to go, right. how they looked yeah. at their free well, man. And this is, this is where, you know, you have, so, so, I, historic, in a historical irony, right? At the same time, you have the, um, all of the establishments of the five day work week going on. Uh huh. Right? Which uh-huh. said that, um, did we talk about this already? No. No. Okay. So you, um, this is from a a, a a Gary North book as well. So my guy, yeah, man. The, the you have the establishment of the five day work week, um, the limitation of the fi- uh, of the work week to five days um, for citizens because they were free. They needed the sixth day to be able to work on the improvement of their own property. Right. Mm, so you have that's five, that leisure. Yeah. So the five days you um, you could have somebody work for you for five days, but that sixth day um, they needed because if they were because they were free, they needed to be able to work on their own property. Right. And so this was that's uh, written into our constitution, right? I don't I don't know if it's in the constitution of the of I have to remember federal constitution, but it's but it's written into it begins getting written into laws. Yeah. 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 Right? Um, and at the same time, so you have the calendar being established as the calendar of a free nation, of a nation of free men. At the same time, you have the the um, the 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 slow legalization of slavery that comes finally to a head in the middle of seventeen hundreds because we forgot common law, right? We're yeah, amending so, it at this yeah, time. So you have the calendar. Um, in direct opposition to mm. the the laws, mm. and so there's no way to not end up with a civil war right? mm. when you've got the calendar wow. saying one thing metaphysically and the law system saying another. Those two things are setting up a civil war. It's unavoidable. All right, so okay, we man, we got to go because there's so much. You brought me books. I did. You're I did. a good friend. <laughs> Thank so, you. So the one of them is so, uh, the so the W. T. Jones that his history of Western philosophy is really great. I, I but I saw this the 
volume two was there, and so I snagged it. The medieval for, mind. Yeah, so this is um, W.T. Jones. He was he was the guy that first put me on to the need for um, understanding what had gone wrong. Um, so that's a multi-volume set, but that is the best volume. And his his the the last volume is also really good. But Ooh, Thomas Metaphysics. Yeah. So um, that one is it's is really really good. And but he's got explanations of the social structures that that um, and the <laughs> the and feudalism and how feudalism grows out of the metaphysic. Um, and uh, and then turns around and affects the metaphysic. It's really, it's really good. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So uh, and then this is the story of the champions of the round table. Oh, so good. Howard oh, Pyle. this just, is great, just man. Some King Arthur stories. I was looking for something from King Arthur. I was like, yeah. I need to hear better story. You know. <laughs> and what's what is amazing about King Arthur stories is you realize how ignoble we are. How unchivalrous we are, and you read a little bit of the chivalry, and 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 you know what I what's amazing is they understood that the only way to for to defeat bad knights is with good knights, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you. But just the to have a a culture in which women are honored. Right, that so one of the vows a knight took is that I will be available to aid any woman. Right, that's a vow. So the, the knights took a vow to come to the aid of any woman. Help me, Obi Wan. You're my, <laughs> You're my only, only hope. hope, right? <laughs> so it's amazing, and so that chivalry, like that chivalry, comes. It comes all the way into like our westerns. Something like High Noon, yeah. you know, the, our, our, our Westerns are still just the retellings of these stories. And, um, and wow, it, so, thank you, man. Yeah, I, so, I so that one's great. That. That's and then, uh, and then a, this little a river runs through it. That's it's it's a collection of uh, I've a, heard this a novella story and then a couple of short stories. And but Norman McLean tells the story of being raised in Missoula, Montana by a Presbyterian minister. Okay. This and, was a movie, wasn't it? Yeah, they made a movie. Beautiful movie. Um, and But it's a story about uh, fatherhood and just you know, kind of a, a, a literary education in the Old West. And really? It's a beautiful, beautiful – I mean, it's, it's my second favorite novella. Uh, it's – it's novella novella yeah short novel okay longer novella. than okay, yeah. longer you. than a short story shorter than a novel man you know it's funny <sighs> okay so much still to talk about this is what happens when we don't talk for two weeks i know somebody got on i was like man i was wondering where you guys were i was like you ain't listen to all them other shows anyway i don't know what you're talking about how do i create time to read the i have look I, look at my shelf i know i got so many books over here um and i'm i'm reading through them slowly and then i have a stack of articles i'm doing a daily show now but i i need all of this content i need <laughs> it in my head and there's no usb that i can plug in and ah download it i'm good what is it what does it look like especially not just for anybody i'm talking about for me like how do i spend my time working through all of these books and i need more books and i need <laughs> And you know, yeah, you always need more books. That's, yeah, we. I was yesterday. I saw that picture. <laughs> yeah, that's why my wife and I both brought home a, 
box of new books of the, the same day or that um and, and she looked at my box and i looked at her box and she said you need to buy me a bigger house we're running out of library <laughs> <laughs> so um but yeah because we, um, we both got a problem I don't know if it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always say, look, I could be addicted to heroin, and I'm not. Right. I'm right. addicted this to books, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but we My wife's like, your addiction to heroin might be cheaper. <laughs> yeah, <it> might be. <laughs> <laughs> so we put, she, my wife just put in a, a new set of books, or a new, new set of shelves in the basement. <laughs> and, this is the, and I was like, oh, man, I, that'll be fun to fill. She's like. No, these will be full. And she was right. It was the books that didn't fit in the, we've got. Cause you got boxes of books still that have anymore. Been. We finally got them oh, all out. Oh, that's where they so went to. We got 20, yeah, that, that, so that, well, we got, we've got 22 feet of 10 foot tall bookshelves in the library and they're full. And now, now we're starting to do some of the stuff on the side. But yeah, um, how, but how do you get to it? I mean, the thing is, is it's a, it's a plod, right? You, you, um, you read in a, uh, you read consistently and you get through an enormous amount so you, it's not, there's no secret to there's this there's no secret to it you yeah, set out a time to read and you do yeah, it and you do it it's kind of like working consistent. out consistent yeah well you see how it's worked out yeah, for, me. It was, for of course me i might too. read before yeah. i go but it feels like sometimes like a workout it does feel it like does. a workout it does and you know some of it has to do with picking um you know finding the finding the books um you know, that finding a good guide. Um, mm. So I've taken kind of C.S. Lewis as my like Jason reading guide. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to do a, um, a book group. We've been talking about it. We are going to do We're it. Going to. We got to figure out exactly. So, what, there's a couple of things. I think the mechanics the, of it. Are, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. But I, I think. But I think we landed on our first book. Yes. Yeah. Our first couple of books. First I think. couple of books. So yeah. you know how they came up with the Harvard classics, the 50, the five foot yeah. bookshelf. So we talked about this. I think we're going to come up with our 52 yeah, with books. Our 52 books. Yeah. That like right now that lead you hopefully to the Harvard classics. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, 52 books, that's only a book a week. Yeah. For you. <laughs> but no, you. I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, you could read it in a year. I'm that's not what I'm saying you need to do, but I'm I'm saying we've got more time than we think. I am convinced of that. Yeah. I but I can't even get around to watching news. Yeah. Right? Like so I I mean, so I I do I love Audible. Um Audible books. They you know I get the one credit a month. Yeah, yeah. Um I actually bought in this said I'm cutting some of my Netflix stuff off and so I bought I got yeah. three. I can't wait till it resets right now because I, I, I use them up every time. Yeah, but that's been my my best friend is Audible. Yeah, so um, you know I have I have a, a ten minute about a twelve minute commute, right? So I I've also worked to slowly get the speed up at which I listen. Uh huh. So um, and that's been worth it, and that's just a matter of building up the strength of your concentration. Um. It's, and so once you get the that concentration built up, you can listen at higher rates of speed and, and get more in. Yeah, I got um, about to get a twenty minute commute, so I'm happy for that. Actually, it's yeah. be forty minutes a day. I'm actually really excited for that. So and and then you know um, there's there's also like one of my other early guides was uh, George Grant. Yeah, Word, Word MP3. I bought the George Grant History of the World set, 
And that gives you that frame, the frame narrative for everything. Oh, uh, George Grant History of the World set did not have that. Yeah, I got it through Word MP3 back in the day. I'm assuming it's still there. Uh, and and so that that gives you so the so you know it's just that chipping away, you know, and knowing that it's a multi generational project. So you're chipping away, and you know, um, and then you know now my I'm having in this constant conversation with my kids about what they're they're reading and you know moving forward and so there's always um so this is I just picked up reprint Martin Bootser on education um and uh it's a it's from India so this company in India does these reprints of old Ref- reformation Tell them to send you a PDF Um, but he's got this there's a a really interesting um, thing so he says the uh, Bootser's plan for bringing the kingdom of Christ to earth like that of Plato for his ideal state is utopian he's a because Bootser is a post-millennialist like all good Christians (laughs) yet uh, yet a man who wished Englishmen to attend to the manufacture of cloth and to metalworking uh, was not a seer of false dreams. Right? So wh- one of the striking differences between Bootser's plan and that of Plato's is that Bootser was designed from the beginning for all the people as equally the redeemed of Christ. Right? Plato indeed does not absolutely close his ruling class to the common people, but the gulf is much greater than that with the Christian who, though he does not suggest the abolition of the hereditary aristocracy, makes preparation for the highest functions free to all of every rank who show themselves able to serve the public. Thus, as the reformers characteristically did, he shows himself a genuine champion of universal freedom. Mm. So this is, he's summarizing Martin Bootser's uh, book on education. He puts big quotes and then summarizes it. And he basically just says, it's like it doesn't matter what you do for a living. You're a free man, so educate yourself like a free man. Mm. Right. So Aaron and I are working on starting a, uh, uh, and this is this is Aaron, my wife's brainchild is, um, is the and we've been talking about this for a long time is educating the educating parents. So we tend to say, okay, we got to really focus in on education, and so then we talk about kids. A lot, which is important and good. It's good, yeah. I mean, we we poured our life into the establishment of a K through twelve classical Christian school, and that we love, 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 love. Um, but we realized really early on, like the second year we were doing it, we need a school for the parents, right? <laughs> what do you think this is? <laughs> yeah, for real. So, um, so she wants to call it the Great Conversation, mm. um, and pick a book a month and, and, um, just work through it and teach parents, teach parents because the kids are going home to parents and there's not a conversation at home. Mm. And so what does it take? Well, it takes the getting the parents involved in the great conversation of mankind so that the kids go home from their classical education to a home where that great conversation is happening. It's already taking place. So, um, and so, you know, my wife is working out the details on how we're going to do that. She's just going to make giant pots of soup and have yeah. people over to the library. That's and, the way. And 
Um, but but just the but it, it's so a big part of it. And you know, this is we, we've talked about this is you just once the mindset sets in, I'm a free man. What do free men spend their time doing? Free men spend their time getting an education. Their whole life, their whole life is involved in getting an education, um, because that's what free men do. It's the same. I mean, it's the it's the same understanding of the Second Amendment. What? Who am I? Well, I'm a knight of the realm of Christ, right? Mm. So. I got to be ready to defend the the weak and the powerless. That's what I do. That's who I am. I'm a knight of the realm. I'm a free man. I get an education. You know, so, um, you know, the, the, and then raising your kids, understanding like, well, what are you? Unite you're, your kids with the education. Yeah, unite your kids with an education. They're, 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 they're the, they're the, the the free sons and daughters of of the king of the realm and so just a, such a different understanding. We don't even have the conversation then yeah. about second. Uh, well, we got to have laws and guns laws. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. What kind of people are what these? What kind of people are? What these? are they yeah. for? And so then, what do they do? Yeah. They're free so, men. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. So that's my really good. my daughter's best friend just did his thesis on uh, Booker T. Washington. And so. <laughs> so I need to go read a, a, a autobiography. He's so yeah, good, so good. But that, and that's his whole thing. Is 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 he's like, look, you know, make us citizens, don't make us citizens. That it, um, that I'm I'm not a lawmaker. What I am going to do is I'm going to create people, a whole generation that is ready for citizenship, right? That is. That are that understand that they're free men that understand how to serve their neighbor that understand who they are, and you're so so even if we don't get citizenship in this generation, you're going to be begging us to be citizens in the yeah. next, right? And uh, it's like, man, so so what whether you are are with him or not on his argument, he um, he understood he gets it who the people in front of him were. Yeah, the metaphysics they were yeah. free men, yeah, right. You don't. The government isn't granting them freedom. They are free men, right? The government may acknowledge it or not, but I've got a bunch of free men here, and so I'm starting them a college. I'm giving them an education, I'm, right? So he he's not he's not waiting around for the government to grant them freedom. He would he would have been so upset if, when the government tried to claim Juneteenth. I was just gonna say, okay, we're gonna end on the, yeah, we're in on that. Yeah, we I still am upset about that. We got to do a whole show around. that. I know we do. That's so. gonna be a whole. Yeah, I think I think we need to do the Christian calendar. Yes, and then and, um, and yeah, that, do. let's do that. Let's do that next. You want to do that next? Yeah, this we'll is, talk about Christian calendar. Yeah, because we got to talk about that in Pride Month, and it's a Juneteenth Pride Juneteenth, Month and Pride Christian month. calendar. That's the that's movement, movements of the stars. Yeah, because we're talking calendars. Movements. Okay, that's what we're doing next. That's what we're doing next. Because <laughs> right. I don't even know what you just said. Movements of the stars. I do know, but it's gonna be fun. 